Thanks very much for that, Heidi. And uh, just to introduce myself, my name is Georgia Condell and um, I'm the curate here at St. James by the Park. And uh, I'm just thrilled to be sharing with you this morning. I'm gonna use quite a lot of analogies this morning. And I'm gonna start with this one. I want you to imagine a scenario. So I want you to imagine that a distant relative has died, has left you with a fortune. You've inherited millions of pounds. There's only one slight snag. The will's gone missing. Oh, you know it was kept somewhere very safe, but you're darned if you can find it. All that money is yours. If only you can locate it. I think many of us as Christians live like this. We've either forgotten or we don't know, or we don't know how to access the riches that we have. And this morning, what I want to remind us as we look at this passage is how rich we are and what our inheritance is in Christ. At face value, Romans chapter seven reads like a depressing indictment on the human condition. God loves us, yes. God forgives us, yes indeed. But we can't seem to stop sinning. I wonder if that is your experience. Certainly that is often my experience. We've just heard from Heidi about Paul's own struggle with sin. In verse 18 of chapter 7, he says this, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I know that I want to do the right thing, but I can't do it. Now, if this is Paul's experience, Paul, the great apostle, the evangelist, writer of a large part of the New Testament. Well, what hope is there for me and for you? Frankly, what's the point in being a Christian? If I find myself in the same position I was before I found Christ. Well, I think we need to look at this passage again. It's a bit like mining for gold, reading through Romans. And you have to read it and reread it again and again, because in the midst of what feels like bad news, there are these wonderful seams of gold shining out. Like my analogy of the inheritance, Paul uses a number of different analogies in Romans to try to get across to us the significance of the change that has occurred because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He often uses contrasting extremes of death and life, slavery and freedom, but they're not used in a simple construct. Often there's an overlap and an overplay. On the one hand, Romans 6 tells us this, you also must consider yourself 
alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, that's really good news, isn't it? We're to consider ourselves as dead to sin. But actually, the English doesn't really get across the thrust of that. It's consider we think of as to think or imagine. That's not what it's saying. In the original Greek, that word consider is actually an accounting term. It means to recognise as a fact, to see it as factual information. So it's not just that we're to imagine or think about ourselves as dead to sin. Paul is telling us, check the facts. Fact, as a Christian, you're dead to sin. Well, that's great news, isn't it? But actually, so many more of us can identify more easily with Paul's cry at the end of Romans chapter seven. Wretched man or woman that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? There's a real tension here, isn't there? And here's the thing, the Bible doesn't pretend that being a Christian is easy. It doesn't pretend that sin just goes away. Sin is very present, prevalent even. You just have to listen to the news, read a paper, look around you. And the Bible tells us that yes, sin is all around us, but also within us. We aren't immune to sin just because we became a Christian. To use yet another analogy, we haven't been vaccinated against sin. In fact, Paul in this chapter talks repeatedly about the sin that dwells within us. As a Christian, you don't automatically just stop sinning. Hopefully when you became a Christian, there was an evident change in you. I became a Christian many years ago. I was a 14-year-old teenager. And I think there was a real noticeable change in me. I'd been quite a moody, uh, miserable teenager, um, quite difficult, I think, for my parents. And it was my parents that noticed quite a noticeable change in me when I became a Christian. In fact, so much um, so that they wanted to know what on earth had happened to me. But did I stop sinning completely? No. And in fact, uh, 1 John 1 8 goes as far as to say, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. So am I back to square one? No, not at all. The other analogy that Paul uses repeatedly, both in Romans 6, we heard about last week, and Romans 7, is that of slavery and freedom. Yes, sin is everywhere around us, but here's that seam of gold again. Verse six says this, where Paul combines the analogies of death and life and slavery and freedom. See if you can hear those. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves, not under the old written code, but in the new life of the spirit. We're no longer slaves to sin. How? The video we watch tells us, doesn't it? Because Jesus has set us free through his death on the cross. 
Paul answers his own question in Romans 7.25. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he seems to be saying here is that Paul in his own strength has no hope of combating sin. But that through Jesus Christ, there is an alternative. Now, that's great news, isn't it? But how does that help me in my day to day life? How can I stop doing the things that I know are wrong? How can I get over that constant sin, that sin that keeps tripping me up and it will be different things for you and me? Jesus has set us free from the slavery to sin. In other words, he's set us free from the having to sin. And that really is the wondrous news, that we have new life in the spirit to live free from the tyranny of sin. So that while sin is powerful, it no longer has power over us. Romans 8 goes on to tell us a little bit more about what that life looks like. But I'll leave that to Simon, who's going to preach on that next week. But if you want a sneaky peek, then go on and read chapter eight of Romans. I'm going to use one last analogy in this talk, and I know there have been a lot. We were talking about this last night, actually. We had a little gathering of those of us that are part of SatNav walking group. Uh, we had our 10th anniversary. Uh, of course, we had to do it on Zoom. But several people were mentioning uh, that they've bought um, electric bikes in lockdown. And I wanted to use that analogy, the difference between a push bike and an electric bike. Perhaps imagine you've treated yourself with those millions of pounds that you inherited at the beginning of my talk and you've, you've bought yourself an electric bike. Well, I don't have one. I just have a push bike, but I'm quite envious of those of you that do have electric bikes. Push bikes are hard work, especially when you're going uphill. I don't know if you've ever been struggling uphill on your push bike only to have someone whiz by you on an electric bike speeding up the hill with virtually no effort. I have. It's frustrating. I'm pedalling really hard. And what's that got to do with the Christian life? Well, here's the thing. We can try to stop sinning in our own strength. We can make news resolutions, we can give up things for Lent, and we might get really good most of the time at not sinning, but it's tiring, it's hard work. And we're probably going to let ourselves down and let God down from time to time because we're trying to do it in our own strength. But if I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me, just like being on an electric bike, it gets easier not to sin. To keep going with the analogy, I've still got to pedal. I've still got to make the right choices. But the Holy Spirit gives me power that I don't have in my own strength. Paul prays this for the Ephesians, that they may be strengthened in their inner being with power through his spirit. That word power in the Greek is 
dunamis or dynamite. We get the word dynamite from it, dynamic. And we've been talking about that through this series on Romans, about the power of the gospel and the power that Jesus' death and resurrection has given to us. Are we seeing that in our lives? Paul goes on to remind the Ephesians, may you know the hope to which you were called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So that same power which God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to us through the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna finish and go back to my inheritance analogy. I wonder, do you know how rich Christ? Or are you still trying to live the Christian life in your own strength on your push bike? When God is offering you the power of the Holy Spirit, the electric bike, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. Of course, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. There is always this tension between the now and the not yet. But I do think that we need reminding that as Christians, sin no longer has power over us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to finish by listening to a song which reminds us of the power of the cross. And when we listen, you might like to ask God to open your eyes to all that Jesus has achieved for you and me on the cross. You might like to ask him for a renewal of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you in your life in Christ. Or perhaps you're someone who has never asked Christ into your life. And perhaps God has been touching you this morning and speaking to you. This is a wonderful opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. Please let us know uh, what's going on with you. You can always email us or contact us um, at St. James by the Park on the website. It'd be lovely to hear from you and what God's doing in your heart and in your life. God longs for us to fully enter in to all that it means to be a child of God and to live in the power of his Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer for you and me today. Amen.